Charles Darwin's theory of natural selection states that the traits passed on are those with positive attributes for their environment. So what was Hollywood thinking when they adapted gentlemen prefer blondes? Welcome to Unnatural Selection, a podcast about books with film adaptations, the weird decisions Hollywood makes in the process, and whether an adaptation is a good adaptation or a faithful adaptation. As always, I am your host, Emma. I use any pronouns. And with me today is Cole. Cole, would you like to introduce yourself? Hi, uh, I'm Cole. Uh, pronouns are he, they. Uh, and I am excited to talk about this really weird book with you. Perfect. Would you like to tell our listeners what we are talking about today? Yes, of course. Uh, we are going to be reading Gentlemen Prefer Blondes by Anita Luce. Perfect. Yep. I guess so we've we already are... read it. Yeah. So we're going to be talking about 1925 novella uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes and the 1953 film adaptation. That's important to note that it's the 1953 one, because while it's the only one anyone knows about, in my research, I found out there's a lost film that was a silent film adaptation in 1928. So we're not doing the lost content. (laughs) We did not unearth this lost piece of media for the sake of the pod. And uh, this one is actually going to be kind of interesting to talk about the adaptation, because there's an intermediate adaptation. (laughs) (laughs) between the book and the movie actually um so as some of you may know the movie is a movie musical with marilyn monroe diamonds are a girl's best friend is from this musical but it was a stage musical before it was a movie and while we didn't read this the watch the stage musical we just watched the movie there's probably some stuff happening in the middle here cole how did you feel about this movie and this book that is a great question because i when i decided that i wanted us to read this book and then watch this movie i did it because i really did not like the movie the first time i watched it like i loved the book i genuinely think it's like one of the great american novels and then i watched the movie and i was like this is awful i hate it so much and then i was so i was like yes this is the thing we should talk about and then i was watching the movie last night and i was like wait this movie's really good. <laughs> I, I really liked it the second time around. I don't know what did it, if what what over the last five years changed my mind so radically, but I, I really enjoyed it now. So I'm really just excited to talk about all that. Exciting. Before we get into a summary of the book, I'm going to read a little synopsis of the book and then the movie, just to sort of set the stage for how different things might be <laughs> along the lines. So... We have a very short synopsis here uh, of the book, unless I can find a better one. Does Goodreads have a better one than Wikipedia does? Trying to find... Okay, Wikipedia has... uh, Goodreads has an okay one. No, this is a review. (laughs) Never mind. Back to Wikipedia. Yeah, back to Wikipedia's two-sentence synopsis. Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, The Intimate Diary of a Professional Lady, is a comic novel written by American author Anita Luce. The story follows the dalliances of a young blonde gold digger named Lorelai Lee in the bathtub gin era of American history. So that's our little summary there. I can't believe Very vague, but digger. to be fair, that is... That's yeah, it. That's it. <laughs> that's it. And then here is the summary of the movie. Lorelai Lee, played by Marilyn Monroe, is a beautiful showgirl engaged to be married to the wealthy Gus Esmond, much to the disapproval of Gus's rich father, Esmond Sr., who thinks Lorelai is just after his money. When Lorelai goes on a cruise accompanied by only her best friend, Dorothy Shaw, Esmond Sr. hires Ernie Malone, a private detective, to follow her and report any questionable behavior that would disqualify her from the marriage. Which is a very thorough summary compared to the book, yeah. But does any of what is in the movie <laughs> summary happen in the book? Not a lick. Are there even names that are the same? She's still Lorelai. She's still Lorelai. 
And Dorothy's still Dorothy. Dorothy. Yeah. Other than that, it, it's all about the vibes, baby. It is all about the vibes. Cole, will you give us a brief summary of the book before we get into the changes between the book and the movie? Uh, of course. Of course. Um, so as both of, well, I guess that's the first lovely little summary told us. Uh, Gentlemen Prefer Blondes is the story of Lorelai Lee, who I would not call a gold digger. I would call a socialite. Uh, former film star, <laughs> current somewhat ne'er-do-well living in New York City. She spends all of her time bouncing off from the arms of various wealthy men and delighting in the food, presence, and other forms of affection they shower her in. At the start of the novel, her probably main squeeze for much of the book, um, also Mr. Esmond, invites her on a trip to Europe because he's going for business and wants her to tag along. And so from there... I, I am going to pause you because in the book, he is Mr. Iceman. I, I just read him the same way. I just, I gave him the benefit of the doubt. <laughs> I I didn't because I had captions on when I was watching the movie. <laughs> oh, really? It's different in the script? Yeah. <gasps> oh my gosh. Yeah. In, in the movie, it's Esmond. It's E-S-M-O-N-D. Oh, and in the book, it's Iceman, E-S-E-I-S-M-E-N. Uh, We're going to spend an hour of the podcast talking about just that change. That, that completely turns <laughs> yeah. the movie on its head. Uh, But yeah, so most of the book is just Lorelai and her quote-unquote best friend Dorothy um, traveling throughout Europe, getting up to various zany misadventures, meeting lots of eligible men, doing their best to basically rob them dry, (laughs) using nothing but their feminine charms and women's intuition, I guess you can say. (laughs) it's a it's it's a hard book to summarize because so much happens and so little of it matters (laughs) it is like it is i've been thinking about it less as a book or a novel and more as like a character piece where you're not really interested in like what happens next necessarily so much as like how lorelei tells you about what happens next if that makes sense it's all about her Yeah, so the book is written as Lorelai's diary, uh, where she horribly misspells so many things. The Eiffel Tower, spelled I as in E Y E. Yeah, the Eiffel Tower. U L L. Mm-hmm. Yep. Oof. I tried to keep track of all of them. There's a lot. I gave up. We have. I gave up of all of the inconsistencies, or her being like, "I find this is in this location." It's like, oh. No. Oh, sweetie. Oh, sweetheart. Oh, sweetie. (laughs) I think my favorite one is where they're in Paris and she meets a man called like Robert yeah. and she thinks it's robber. Yeah. And then, and then she says, robber is French for Robert. <laughs> and it's just like, oh, darling. Oh no. The, the quintessential part of this book is that Lorelai is so smart, but so, so. fucking stupid. Like this is the they're... origin of the dumb blonde trope. Oh, this is girl boss gaslight gatekeep at its finest. Like, <laughs> is honestly, she she is both girl boss gaslight gatekeep and what is it? Manipulate mansplain and whatever the <laughs> male wife. I don't know the third male wife. Yep. Yeah, this is somehow both of those. Yep, all wrapped up in Lorelai Lee. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so it makes sense that the movie has to make a plot out of this. Well, well, a lot of the book is just them going from country to country and dicking around and ruining men's lives. Good for them. Good for them. And it's all under the guise of uh, Lorelai's education by Mr. Mm-hmm. Eisman, mm-hmm. who in the book is an old man who is married <laughs> and is very mm-hmm. rich and owns a button factory and is like clearly just educating her because she's a sugar baby. Yeah. She's a sugar yeah. baby. That's the way to put it. She's a sugar baby. And in the movie, and apparently in like the stage play as well, which, fun fact, there was also a straight stage play, not a musical, oh. in 1926, along with the lost silent film in 1928. And I would like to point out that Anita Luce wrote all of them. Every adaptation there's been of this was by the original author of the novella. That is so interesting. 
Yeah. And I, I guess I get it because you could not make this book into a movie one for one. Like, I don't think it would work. So I understand the need to like rearrange some stuff, turn it into a different beast, make it work for film. Yeah. But some of the changes... But, but they change so much. Are fascinating. It's, yeah. Yeah. Um, so they, they make Iceman Esmond in the movie. Yes. They make him a, a young... Mm-hmm. A young bachelor boy, a young bachelor millionaire mm-hmm. whose daddy has all the money. They're engaged. They're engaged. Bonkers. Um, mm-hmm. Because in the book, you have Laura like constantly getting engaged and then going, mm, never mind, goodbye. I have to it leave is, the country now. <laughs> it is genuinely so funny because each chapter is broken up day by day and it will literally be like March 17th, like. I am so in love with this guy. He is the man of my dreams. He will provide for me. He will care for me. Like, we will never be apart. And then it'll be like, March 18th, I have decided I do not like Gregory. (laughs) I must leave the country immediately. Yeah, and the thing is, they're like all old men. And they are all married. For mm -hmm. the most part. Like, every man in this book is like, ooh, my wife's not going to like this, or I will divorce my wife for you. And she's like, you will? And then the next day she leaves the country. (laughs) She's like, no, "No, you won't. No, you will not. She's like, perfect. Goodbye. In too deep. Um, Except for Henry Spofford, who is supposed to be, like, a little older than her, but not, like, too much. Mm -hmm. Um, Who they do some bonkers changes with in the movie. Because in the book, Lorelai does not end up with Gus, who is married and, and old and funding her <laughs> education, quote unquote. She ends up with a Mr. Henry Spofford, who is uh, like from a wealthy family that owns most of Pennsylvania. And he's like, very conservative and he's like a censorship guy. He like is censoring the movies and things like that. And she marries him. Paul, do you want to tell us about Henry Spofford's character in the movie? Uh, well, in the movie, uh, he is, I want to say, an eight-year-old boy. <laughs> yeah! He Maybe is... ten if we squint. Yeah, ten if we're lucky. Um, and it's like a... And... No, go, go for it. Oh, I was just saying, and he is, uh, instead of being in any way, shape, or form connected with Lorelai, he is... Uh, a hypothetical love interest for Lorelai's best friend, Dorothy. Yeah. Which we have to talk about Dorothy. Because we have I love to Dorothy. talk about Dorothy. Dorothy is one of the biggest changes they make because in the novel, it is all from Lorelai's perspective. It is all about Lorelai with throwing of, oh, Dorothy did this. Dorothy's so unrefined. Dorothy uses slang. <laughs> <laughs> Dorothy used a slang term in front of the Prince of Wales. Um, oh my God. The Prince of Wales scene. Yep. Um, Where, oh my gosh. But Dorothy is our focus character in the movie, I'd say. Yeah. I'd say that's the that's... huge difference. And I mm-hmm. like that we get to see a lot of Dorothy. She's very fun. Her actress is crushing it. But I am also mad that they Russell. took away Queen Lorelai's like, biggest moments by giving them to Dorothy. Yeah. In, in the book... <laughs> Lorelai flirts her way out of a murder charge before the book even starts. <laughs> it is something that is revealed later. I, I do like to believe that that also happened to Marilyn Monroe, Lorelai. They just don't mention it. Yeah, I like to think that also. I, I think she could. But they do have a court scene later on in the movie after a whole stolen diamond tiara fiasco, which does happen in the book, but in a very different way. Um, but mm. it's Dorothy up on the stand pretending to be Lorelai flirting her way out of the charge and while she does kill it and she does a great Marilyn Monroe impression <laughs> let our girl Lorelai use those brains yeah. they make her too that stupid is... mm-hmm. that is I think that's one of the reasons I didn't like the movie so much the first time I watched it because in the book Lorelai despite everything she says and everything she does, she's really smart. Yeah. Like, I think she applies it very selectively, but, like, because we're in her head, like, we can see her construct these pretty elaborate plans Mm -hmm. to manipulate the men around her to get what she wants. 
and she does it effortlessly wins every time uh and then in the movie i think they simplify things a lot probably because it's a movie and it's harder to detail those kinds of things but she doesn't really get as many moments of like glory to bask in you know yeah yeah she really doesn't get to to shine the same way and Mm -hmm. i'm wondering if part of that just has to do with the fact that they ended up casting marilyn monroe um because in doing research for this i was trying to find out more about the production and this is a Hayes code era film and i have a lot of theories about some of the changes that <laughs> all tie back into the Hayes code very much same um also sorry we're jumping around a lot but that's just the kind of book and movie <laughs> this one is it's like impossible it- not to um, yeah, if we if we went step by step, we'd be here for 16 hours. So uh-huh. <laughs> we're going to bounce. So there's like several scenes that were filmed and then got cut because the Hayes Code people were like, Mm-mm, Marilyn Monroe's too hot. Titty too big. That can't <laughs> be in the film. We're not going to oh, show no. this film in theaters if you leave her titties in. Like to the oh, point man. where the diamonds, the iconic diamonds are a girl's best friend dress was thrown together last minute. They had a $4,000 showgirl costume for her. And the network was like, mm-mm. Mm-mm. No. Okay, so that point deserves additional context. Because if you haven't seen the movie, you might just know the image of Marilyn Monroe in that dress. When she performs that number, she's in this, like, burlesque S&M club where, like, there are a bunch of women strapped to chandeliers and like looking kind of bondagey and sexy and so and so the censors looked at that scene and were like mm, Marilyn we got to cover you up but yes let's leave the <laughs> human chandelier up that's insane to me yeah yeah so the human chandelier is still there which what a what a thing to say that the human if, chandelier if you're not spending all your is still I guess if you're not spending all your money on sexy costumes, you can afford afford to splurge. But the thing is, they made the costume. I'm trying to find the tab I had open for this one. I have so many tabs open, and they've all hopped around. (laughs) Um, But, like, I'll see if I can find... Um, Here we go. I found the article, Dresses in Controversy in Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Which, again, I don't know how reliable of a source we've got here. Well, actually, it's got photos, so this has to be a fairly reliable source, actually. It's got lots of photos, and it's got, like, design sketches from the movie and stuff. Mm. Um, So, Cole, I'm just going to send you this link so that you could scroll down and see... The dress. Gosh, I'm so because excited. like I get why they cut it, but also goddamn. <laughs> um, and like this happened with like multiple scenes, not just the showgirl scene. There was another dress they made that was this just like gorgeous gold dress that you do end up seeing in the movie, but an entire musical number around it was cut. Uh, uh, oh, it's the one she's wearing she when looked... she's dancing with Beekman. Yeah, it's the one where she's dancing with mm. Beekman. So she she meets this old man on the boat. In the movie, yes. everything happens in the boat. You meet everyone that you would have met in various different countries on this boat to France. Um, mm-hmm. Also, a big change that feels kind of important to mention is that um, Dorothy and Lorelai are showgirls in the movie. They're like a, a, a duo act. I Sorry, this is a note that I have not been able to think about. When I started watching the movie, the first thing I wrote down on my like notepad was, book Lorelai would never have a job. It's so true. She it's would so never true. have a job. I think she literally says that she she was she played the mandolin when she was younger. <laughs> and she didn't like it because she had to practice. And one of the reasons she likes writing things so much is because you don't have to work hard to do it. <laughs> Which as a creative writing major. Yeah, for true. for context uh, listeners, Cole and I have the same degree from the same university where we did the <laughs> same two majors. <laughs> And look at us now. Look at us now. Look at us. They can't look Creative at us. Oh, this majors. is an audio media. 
Uh, put it on Patreon. Put it on Patreon. Um, but yeah, so there, there's the main core of this plot in the movie has to do with her meeting Sir France, Francis Beekman, who she refers to as Piggy. Who oh, I, I hate that. Mm-hmm. What, what's worse, her calling Beekman Piggy or her calling Iceman Daddy? I like... Okay, so once again, I'm going to go back to the book for this one because she gets mad at Dorothy because Dorothy calls uh, Iceman by his first name, whatever it is. I didn't write it down. I don't remember. And and Lorelai's like, how could you? That's so inappropriate. Like, I call him daddy. <laughs> it's like, I love her. come on, girl. I love her so <sighs> much. Truly just head empty all the time. Yeah. Icon. Oh. Uh, Flirting her way out of a murder charge. Also, it was a justified murder. Oh. Listeners. Everything Lorelai does is justified. I would never hold anything I mean, against yes, her. yes, but it's, like, very clearly implied that, like, her boss was trying to put moves on her. Forcibly her so. put moves on her. Uh, and she shot him. Yeah. And they acquitted her. As they should. We should specify, maybe. Not, not because... The they were like we must use the justice system to protect this innocent flower. Oh no, it was because, because she everyone in the courtroom, <laughs> everyone fell yeah, in love because with everyone her. in the court, yeah, big booba, mm-hmm. head empty, mm-hmm. yeah, good for her, good for her, good for her. Um, God, Marilyn Monroe is so pretty. Yeah, she also. I feel like there's a lot of parallels between her and Lorelai, especially. And in a way that makes me even more frustrated that they play up her as a dumb blonde in the movie. As, like, actually dumb and not Mm -hmm. playing dumb, but kind of stupid in other ways. Mm. Um, Yeah. Especially because um, one of the sources I found, I'll see if I can find it again. uh, The line she says about how she can be smart when she wants to, she just finds that most men don't like it was improvised mm. by Marilyn Monroe. Oh, that was man. not in the script. Ouch. Ouch. The, yeah. This is such a fantastic role for her. Like, Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell are so good in this movie. So good. They are there's a, both there's a, so gorgeous, too. When they come out in the ah. Halloween dresses, it's not actually Halloween, mm. but Marilyn Monroe is in an orange dress and Jane Russell is in a black dress and it's ah. Halloween, baby. <laughs> yeah. That's one of the pictures I'm looking at in the article you sent me. Mm-hmm. And I mean, I feel like everyone already knows Marilyn Monroe can sing, but I mean, I I didn't know about the intermediary musical or I didn't know about anything <laughs> between the book and the version we watched. So I, this is all news to me, but like, they also it, it, it's it's interesting that they made it a musical. I wonder if the songs they sang in the movie were the songs from the stage? They are. They are the songs from the oh. the stage show. I also think that explains the the switch to them being showgirls because this is during mm-hmm. still like the golden age of musical, like this is like the early ages of musicals where most of them the songs were not just like diving into singing. They had the setup of like this is a musical troupe. This is why they are singing. They're practicing numbers. It's like a review more so than a storyline driven by music. Mm-hmm. Um, like yeah. White Christmas is the same way. I don't know the reference, but I believe you. It's another movie from this era, another movie mm-hmm. musical. And it's like a, a show troupe. There's the show girls also trying to climb out a window when the cops are coming for them at one point. Lots of <laughs> common oh, <wow>. trope. <laughs> Lots of bits. Lots of bits. Yeah, so I think that's why they made the switch to Showgirls, because it was the convention of the mm-hmm. time for musical for a lot of musicals yeah. to have that as, like, the justification for the singing. So I think that change makes a lot of sense, given the era. It, it, the songs I, are the same. I have a fun fact for you that you are not going to believe. They did not originally cast Marilyn Monroe in this. No. There was Who? someone else cast and like slated to play Lorelai and then she dropped out and they took a chance on Marilyn because she was still like a nobody at this point. Oh wow. This was like one of her That's first insane. big roles. Cuz I and this is like one of the Marilyn roles. Mm-hmm. Like I like I kind of mentioned earlier but I feel like everyone has the mental image of 
her in the pink dress doing Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend. I'd never seen the movie and even I knew. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's another thing that jumped out to me about this movie that, I don't know, this isn't really getting to maybe the adaptation side of it, but like, it is so influential in pop culture when you like sit down and think about it. Yeah. Like, th- that Marilyn Monroe shot and then that gave us uh, Madonna's Material Girl and then like how that's been used. And then like even in the 2010s, Crazy Ex-Girlfriend did a song almost entirely inspired by that scene. Mm-hmm. And it's like And then there's so many the scene in, in Birds of Prey is. too. I actually haven't seen Birds of Prey. Mm-hmm. There's a Diamonds Are a Girl's Best Friend inside uh, scene there with Harley Quinn. Actually, yes, I do know. I've listened to the soundtrack <laughs> and I know that it's on the soundtrack. So that actually makes perfect sense. Mm-hmm. Um, where she's like wearing the dress, but it's like a pantsuit now. It's like a jumper. Mm. It's cute. Um, it is kind of sad to me that I feel like the book's maybe gotten overshadowed by the movie. Yeah, I didn't know it was a book until you reached out to me for this episode. And it's a good book. It takes, it's a really good book. It takes a second to get past the purposeful misspellings because there's a moment you have at the start where you're like, did someone just not edit this? And then the farther mm-hmm. in you go, the more you realize it's on purpose. Yeah. Um, it, it It's really smart. Like the author, like the author is fully in on the joke, but also fully committed to the character of Lorelai. Yeah. It is such a commentary on the times of like the dichotomy mm -hmm. between like roaring twenties party city. And then like the more like rich upper crust. And uh, especially when you get to like Spofford and stuff with all of his family Mm -hmm. being like, "Mm, we are pro prohibition. But Lorelai offered me champagne, and obviously I'm yeah. going to like Lorelai because Lorelai offered me champagne. <laughs> mm-hmm. um, or like the cops not shutting down her party because they want a party too. The moment where there's a cop, no, there's a bootlegger and a judge fighting over Dorothy. Yeah. And then the judge, and I, I mean, this is scathing commentary, but then, but then the judge goes back to the courtroom and gives everyone the same sentence so we can go back to the party and keep flirting and drinking. Mm-hmm. Like, it's ooh. really good and like the way it talk it 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 comments on society in so many different levels and different locations like that is why they're traveling is so that anita loose can be like you know the bullshit the brits pull <laughs> on lonely american girls traveling by themselves trying to sell them fake jewelry it makes me mm-hmm. wonder because of the way they set up the fake jewelry in france there's a part of me that wonders if Lorelai's tiara in the book is a fake. No, but then they wouldn't. That have they be- bought for seventy five thousand dollars. I don't think so. So for context, Lorelai. Well, Lorelai's in London. She meets this lady who offers to sell her a tiara, and she basically makes a new male friend and just tricks him into which buying the Francis tiara Beekman. for her. Yeah, which is Francis Beekman. Uh, but then the next chapter in the book is all about. Um, Beekman's wife sending men after her to get the tiara so she can get her money back. So I feel like, I, although I guess Lady Beekman wouldn't have known if the tiara was real or not. Exactly. Oh, man. Which is the Don't whole point of me. them doing the fake, do sending a me. fake back with her. Oh, man. I think about that. Oh, I, I, couldn't, I couldn't bear it. I th- Lorelai deserves a real tiara. She does deserve like, a real tiara. She is a queen. Uh, in the movie, really they is. have this tiara arc as well, but it is Lady Beekman's tiara to start with. Mm-hmm. They make Francis Beekman blood diamonds, baby. He owns a diamond <laughs> mine in South Africa, which Elon makes Musk the is quaking. tiara plot extra funny to me because he he does steal his wife's tiara for Lorelai when that's what she wants. <laughs> King, you own a diamond mine. Just get another one made. <laughs> it's not that Don't hard. Don't ruin your marriage like this. Ruin your marriage like this. Also, Lorelai doesn't know what a tiara is. She doesn't in either the book or the movie. She does not know what it is. Yeah. They make her stupider in the movie with it, though. Oh, yeah, they do. In in the book, it's less like she doesn't know what it is and more she's like, I can do this better. And then she puts it on Mm -hmm. backwards on her head and ties it with a ribbon because it's the 1920s. The movie, I couldn't tell you when it takes place. (laughs) Question mark? It is like vague 30s. There's an Olympics team. There's an Olympics you know team. Because so, can we uh, can we talk about that scene? Yes. <laughs> where I 
again, it's very funny to me that, that anyone looked at this movie and was like, oh, Marilyn Monroe, you're too pretty. Like, we got to go put you in the sack for a little while so no one loses their minds. And then they're like, anyways, here's an entire Olympic team of gymnasts working out in the shortest shorts you've ever seen in your life. They're also skin color shorts. Oh, yeah. And you can oh. see everything. <laughs> yeah, nothing left to the imagination. These are a bunch of muscular, hairy men, like, flexing, thrusting, I gyrating. was really watching this movie and the whole time being like, how is this a Hays Code movie? How is this a Hays Code movie? And, like, clearly they made cuts and things to still get yeah. it approved. And that is, I want to come back to Spofford with this. Mm-hmm. Um, this is why I think they made Spofford a child in the movie. Because in the bu- musical, he's not. Mm-hmm. In the musical, oh. he's, he's a suitor. Oh, wow. Um, a, we're going to have to do another podcast episode just about the, <laughs> the musical. Because um, seems like there's so much to unpack there. I think it's because Spofford's whole character is about censorship. Uh. And, like, they're clearly making fun of him mm. and, like, how into the censorship he is. And, like, clearly the goof here is he's so into censoring things because he likes to look at them and mm. then feels guilty about them. Feels not <laughs> Catholic guilt, but Presbyterian guilt. <laughs> oh, man. Spelled with two you P's. Code guy, you think the Hayes Code guy would have been in the audience like, hey, wait a minute. I think wait that's why they minute. changed it. I think they were like, you are making fun of the Hayes Code. Oh, wow. Um, you are trying to get around code with this movie while blah, blah, blah. you're trying to comment on us. And I think that is why they changed him to be a child. It makes sense. I believe it. It's I the only it. reason I can think of to make that wild of a change. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, man. Uh, the kid's pretty good. He's a good actor. Well, the, yeah. Like, he delivers his lines. He's got some funny moments. Yeah. I definitely... The whole window scene, I'm not a huge fan of. Yeah, there's a lot happening in the window scene. It's a little iffy. Mm-hmm. For context, um, oh gosh, we have to go back. We haven't even talked about Malone. Uh, basically, we'll, we'll get there. Lorelei, movie Lorelai is trying to steal some pictures, steal a roll of film from a cabin on the ship, and she accidentally gets locked in, which maybe don't let people get locked into cabins on a boat. Yeah, I was thinking like, that too. The, the Titanic called, like... Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> I'm so sorry, Titanic. Um, but then, in order to get out, she tries to squeeze out through, like, one of the windows and gets stuck, because she's Marilyn Monroe and she's so curvy. And then there, there are wacky hijinks, but that's one of those moments where it feels, like, a little demeaning. Yeah. Because in the book, Lorelai's always in on the joke, you know? Yeah, like, Lorelai Lorelai has control. She knows what perceived. she's doing in the book oh, anytime 100%. she does something like that. Mm-hmm. Anytime if she, she's if being she hit If she bats her eyelashes, if she flirts, if she says something, like, she's doing it on purpose. Where this felt like, uh, let's put the pretty lady in the weird sex position. Mm-hmm. Oh no. Yeah. yeah. I didn't care for that. Yeah. I, I do think sometimes the movie... I, we kind of already talked to you. It dumbs her down a little bit. It's kind of, it's a little less on the girl's side. Yeah, it's more on Dorothy's side liked. and not on Lorelai's. Mm-hmm. Which is frustrating because Lorelai should be our central focus, but she's not in the movie. It's Dorothy. Yeah. I guess this might be a good segue to talk about Dorothy. Yeah. Danced around her a little bit, and she's amazing. She's incredible. Um, but so in the books, uh, Lorelai is constantly accompanied by her, I think I said quote-unquote best friend, Dorothy. <laughs> yeah, they kind of hate each other, very, they kind of love each other. Yeah, it's a super interesting dynamic, and you never really get that much of it. I th- in, in both versions, we never really learn why they're friends. We just know that they are. In but, the movie, it's implied that they're both from Little Rock. <laughs> Yeah, they're definitely childhood friends, but it, it's we don't get an origin story. Yeah, there's no I was crying on the playground and you came over to me. It's they're they're just they've just existed this way. There, <laughs> there's no roller rink birthday to shout out to our last <laughs> exactly. episode. There is no exactly. birthday party, but it works here. <laughs> mm-hmm. It works here. It doesn't work in my best friend's exorcism. No. The movie to skip the flashback, but here I, I'm it's like, probably because. Yeah. 
they're pretty, and I say this with so much love, they're pretty shallow characters. Like you have Lorelai, who's the money hungry, like, I I guess they're both pretty, but she's like the, she's the money hungry, dumb, pretty one. Whereas Dorothy's the like pragmatic, sarcastic, uh, wants to get in a relationship for either love or sex. It kind of depends. Mm-hmm on how you read some of what she does and some of what she says. But she's definitely more down-to-earth and grounded than Lorelai is. And so a lot of their dynamic is Dorothy subtly insulting Lorelai and Lorelai just writing it down, not getting the joke. Mm-hmm. But that's your moment as the reader to be like, aha, I see. Like, you've made it funny. <laughs> yeah. And, and like, there's, some of the there's best a lot of the the times in the book where Lorelai does know that Dorothy's insulting her. Too, mm-hmm. And she's like... Pfft. Dorothy, which is why she knows when she needs someone to do insulting. She's like, so I called up Dorothy mm-hmm. because I know Dorothy will run this bitch into the ground. Yeah, yeah. Despite it all, they're completely ride or die. Like, mm-hmm. like in both versions, there's ne- there's never a moment where they're like don't have each other's back or yeah. aren't completely willing to do whatever has to be done to like get out of whatever shenanigan is happening. Yeah, it's really nice. It's really nice to see mm-hmm. them on the same side the whole time. Mm-hmm. Um, but I do agree, I do kind of agree with what you said how in the movie Dorothy's definitely kind of our main character. She's got she's got the arc. She's got the plot and the plot is happening around Lorelai instead mm-hmm. of Lorelai being the driving force. Um because we have a character who in my notes when I was watching the movie, I just went, who are you? <laughs> Malone. Dot, dot, dot. Yeah. Do I remember you? Do I, I know I'm you? Sure he, <laughs> I'm pretty sure he is original the character. Yeah, I, I went back through the book and I like scrolled through to be like, were you one of the lawyers? Were you one of these guys? Were you one of this guy? Were you one of those guys? Were you the the, the prosecuting attorney from... From Lorelai's case. <laughs> from when Lorelai killed a guy? Yeah, I do Lorelei. feel like we just have to keep reiterating, Lorelai did kill a man. <laughs> Lorelai like, did kill a man. Good for her. Good for her. <laughs> she did kill a man. Um, <laughs> and, like, I get why... I get some of the changes. I get why they made Iceman, Esmond, whichever you choose, younger and unmarried, because it is. is compelling to have, like, the engagement plot... Instead of the several engagements plot. <laughs> and also this rich man is there. <laughs> and also there's this guy. Um, he's the poorest little meow meow, but we'll get into that. Um, oh, we were talking about Malone. So Malone is oh, right. a detective who Esmond's father has hired to get dirt on Lorelai to keep Esmond from marrying Lorelai. This trip that they take to Europe was supposed to be her and Esmond's wedding. And she was like, I'm going anyway, whether he's coming with me or not. And clearly that's what happens. He has something come up at work. They don't really explain. They They just make it clear that Esmond is not joining and he's anxious about it, especially because there's all these hot Olympians. And Dorothy is already flirting with all of them before they're even on the boat. To which Dorothy says, nobody chaperones the chaperone, which queen. <laughs> um, but this dude, it's so down bad for Dorothy. He, it's on site. Yeah, it is on site. He thinks that Dorothy is um, Lorelai at first and is trying to be like, I have money to try to trick her into like opening up to him because that's all it takes with Lorelai is I own a diamond mind. Ooh, I'm going to dance with you every night until you give me diamonds. Because that's what she's doing. She's not actually like... Oh, yeah. Into Beekman. She is clearly flirting with this old rich man because she wants diamonds. She knows what she's doing. <laughs> she doesn't kind of care that it looks bad for her because she is doing this to get what she wants. And whereas Dorothy is like, oh, cool. I don't fuck with you anymore. <laughs> the second he's like that, and he's like, all right, so you must not be Lorelai. <laughs> that must be Lorelai. <laughs> And they got this cute little weird romance going on, but also he's spying on Lorelai and, like, taking photos of her in incriminating positions with Piggy and, like, recording their conversations and stuff to, like, hear, like, her ask for the diamond tiara, stuff like that. And that becomes our core conflict in the in the 
movie, which is a big change, but it does revolve around like one of the major conflicts from the book. And I think it's necessary mm. because it would oh, be a yeah. very nothing movie if there was no core conflict. <laughs> yeah, there's really no conflict in the book, really. Like, at least not overarching. There's like chapter to chapter. Yeah, there's like issues. Yeah, because like you have Lady Beekman confronting Dorothy and Lorelai and being like, give me that tiara that my husband bought for you. I will get my lawyer involved. But once that's resolved, that's resolved. And the book keeps going for like three more chapters. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it was, correct me if I'm wrong, I believe the book was published like serially. So it was like a chapter a month or something like that. Ooh, I believe that. I actually didn't check that. Let me see. I'm pretty sure I read it somewhere. Yeah. In a way, it, it was. Like it was serialized as a series of short sketches in Harper's Bazaar. Hmm. Nice. I was right. Yeah, so it, it definitely has that kind of disjointed quality. Yeah, so it, it uh, needed something to bring it all together. Yeah. What do you think of Malone? I'm not a huge fan. Mm-hmm. If I'm being totally honest, I feel like, well... Maybe I'm asking too much of this film, but I, I do feel like we don't really, there's not much to him and we don't see a lot of his relationship with Dorothy before it gets like put to the test because well, they're on a boat going across the Atlantic. There's only so much time <laughs> they have. Um, yeah. yeah. I don't, I, I mean, obviously I think he's a foil to... Esmond in the same way that Lorelai is a foil to Dorothy. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get what they were going for. I wasn't a huge fan, personally. Yeah. He, Willing to be proven wrong. He, <laughs> he goes back and forth between being a good character and being a nothing character to me. Where, like, there's moments where I'm like, all right, this is a good dynamic. Like, this is interesting what you're doing. But his motivations are all over the place. Because he is so, like... I do have a note that just says, is Lorelai about to kill a man? <laughs> um, from when they drug him with three sleeping pills. Oh, that was that's a good scene where they give him a cocktail and he's like, what was in this? And she's like, oh, just equal parts vodka, brandy, like rum and something else. Yeah. And then he, and then he asks for another drink because he's like dying for having imbibed that. <laughs> and she gives him a glass and he like chugs it and is like, wait, what was that? And she's like, oh, that was just straight vodka. They nearly killed a man. Uh, also, I do they have did. in my notes from when they bring Spofford out for the first time, it just says in caps, LMAO, they shrunk him. <laughs> oh, no. Um, oh, yeah. Here we go. I wrote down, Malone, ruining her bestie is not going to help you get laid. Yeah. Um, yeah. So his motivations are really all over the place because clearly Dorothy is ride or die for Lorelai and he's like still so willing to do his job and ruin Lorelai while trying to schmooze Dorothy. Mm-hmm. Also, his eyes are too pretty in a way that loops back around to being unsettling. <laughs> Straight to the uncanny valley. Yeah. I like that Dorothy gets an arc. I like that Dorothy gets a man, but also she could have had any man man and like that's kind of which that does kind of tie back into the book because she does like find someone she really likes in england and she gets the bangle and like she doesn't go around with as many guys after that Mm -hmm. but i don't know yeah i don't know (laughs) this might be wishful thinking i know it's bad to look at a piece of media and be like but what if it had been something else because that's not useful critique but part of me does kind of wish there was a version of this movie that was more about Lorelai and Dorothy. Yeah. Like, cause that's, cause at the end of the day, that's kind of the relationship at the heart of it all. Mm-hmm. Like, like Esmond, he's in it for the first three minutes and the last three minutes. Malone kind of, he's there for all the middle, but he's all, he's a bad guy for a lot of it. So like, I got, I would be really interested to see, I, they probably wouldn't have made it back then anyways, but like a version that's just about the two girls and what their interactions are and what, because you yeah. definitely get the sense that they mean a lot to each other. And like you get, 
this almostness to it in the like heist of trying to get the the incriminating photos of Lorelai back, but it's it it dumbs them both down in their planning mm-hmm. as well because like you get a a tiara heist scene in the book, but you get them like busting out all of their brains of like they buy this fake tiara. Lorelai is carrying it around. Dorothy agrees to steal it from Lorelai to sell to one of the lawyers, and then Lorelai pickpockets that lawyer so that Dorothy can steal it again and sell it to the other one, and then they can get the fuck out of there. And, like, that's what I wanted to see. Mm-hmm. I wanted to see that um, kind of cleverness. Yeah, they do. I Again, th- this might just turn into me singing the praises of Marilyn Monroe and Jane Russell again, but they have really good chemistry in the movie. Like they do. I think they they do so much, and like it, it, it's kind of like the book where I think if you could just put them in a room together and have them be the characters and just do it forever, and it would be good mm-hmm. the entire time. Yeah, like because with the book, I think because it was because it was written as we said serially. Like I think I generally think Anita Luce could have kept writing for a year. And I think she kind of does, considering there is a sequel book. <laughs> there is a sequel. I've never read I, the sequel, so... My my copy of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes does have the sequel as well, which uh, oh, really? is called what? But Gentlemen Marry Brunettes. <laughs> we know um, that's not true. So I am thinking I'll read it before I have to return this to the library, because my guess is it's a Dorothy arc, and I am curious to see if anything from Dorothy's arc in But Gentlemen Mary Brunettes ties into some of our questions about the movie. I'm interested to see if they took something from the books and put them into the, the movie like that, which would still be intriguing because in the book she's married to Henry Spofford. Mm-hmm. Like Lorelai got married. And looking at the first yeah. sentence of But Gentleman Mary Brunettes, she's still married. <laughs> I mean, it's Lorelai. It's Lorelai. Give it time. I, I don't know if you can put like a, a full stop after anything that she does when it comes to romance. Good for her. We're going to look real silly if um, Malone's a real big character in the sequel. Oh my god, right? We spent all this time talking smack. I think it's allowed. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I we're, think it's allowed. Right. He's we're kind right. of a and jerk. We should say it. He's kind of a jerk. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think if there's like anything. What else we want to touch on? Because we've touched on the tiara. We've touched on <laughs> the courthouse. Our, uh, I guess our, the... What is it? Scattershot approach. The ending where she keeps going back and forth on if she's going to marry Esmond. Very true to the books. Yeah. Very true to the books. I like that she only agrees to marry him again once she wins over his dad. She's like, no, mm-hmm. I won't marry you. But the second time, the second dad is like into it this time because he thinks that's not Lorelai because he just saw a different <laughs> Lorelai at the courthouse. Um, which, by the way, Lorelai gets let off. Laura, by Lorelai, we mean Dorothy pretending to be Lorelai gets let I, off I because she looks into happens. Malone's eyes and goes... Because I have a friend who will be very mad if anything happens to Lorelai, especially this man, which will be very bad for this man because my friend is very in love with him. <laughs> and he's like, okay, cool. Floating. I quit my I quit my job and I have nothing to say on the witness stand. Oh, not even a moment's hesitation. <laughs> he's like, by the way, I quit. Yeah, just like immediately. He just goes, okay, I quit. <laughs> and it does end up being that... Uh, Beekman took the tiara back. He basically panicked and stole the tiara back and is like, I'm out of here. What a scumbag. I know. That's uh, that's what I miss from the book. And what I think the movie kind of misses is that, like, the point is Lorelai is flirting with these older married men because she knows how to schmooze them without having to, like, do anything or else there will be a scandal. Mm-hmm. And you miss that when, like, Esmond is a normal age <laughs> and, like, she's mm-hmm. only flirting with 
Esmond and Beekman, you, you lose that she has all these older gentlemen who will buy her things because she is nice to them and is, like, young and hot. <laughs> yeah, I think it goes back to what we kind of touched on earlier, where it's like, the movie is a little less on Lorelai's side. Yeah. And, like, she's not allowed to be the one who has complete control of the situation. And I think that is kind of Hayes Code adjacent, too. I think if we'd had this... I I desperately wish I knew what the silent movie looked like. Mm-hmm. But there's, like, no copies of it, apparently. It's, like, been lost to time for years. Because the silent movie was pre-Hayes Code. Mm-hmm. Okay. And part of the Hayes Code is that there can't be, like, sexuality without repercussion. Mm-hmm. Basically. Um... And it makes me wonder if that is why the movie is not on Lorelai's side. Yeah, I think that's a compelling argument for it. Because, like, in the books, she gets to keep the tiara. This is something that stuck with... Mm -hmm. This is one of the reasons I didn't like the movie so much the first time I watched it. Where she doesn't get to keep the tiara in the movie, but in the book she does. Like, she gets away with it. Which she should. Which she should. He gave it to her. It's not like she broke in and took it. No. Beekman's a scumbag and Mm -hmm. lies about it to save face. Yeah. Jerk. Jerk, jerk, jerk. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it it sucks that the movie is not as on Lorelai's side. Mm -hmm. Because it should be. Because the source material is in Lorelai's head. And as we know from the scene she has with Sigmund Freud, she has no inhibitions and therefore no problems. I laughed so hard when you texted me about that. <laughs> you were like, Freud's in this book? Freud is in this book. And it's she horribly him. misspelled. F-R-O-Y-D. Yeah. And he, he's got no answers. He's like, I can't treat you. I can't tell what's wrong with you. <laughs> <laughs> he's just like, you've never repressed anything in your life. I can't like, help you. He literally <laughs> tells her to go start repressing things. He tells her to go get some inhibitions. Ugh. And she's like, damn, wonder where I can get those. I'm, Do you think they sell I'm them Lorelei- at, this, at Cartier? Lorelai is pure id. Like, pure id. Mm-hmm. She, no restraints. No, no insecurities. Mm-hmm. She just, she sees something she wants and <laughs> devotes everything she has to getting it as quickly as possible. Yeah. And, and she's great for that. <laughs> she demands instant gratification oh yeah and i love that for her she is such an interesting character in the book like there like you just never know what she's gonna say or what she's gonna think it's always the so out of left field and it's always the stupidest thing you've ever heard in your life or something weirdly smart her moments of brilliance Few and far between, but they're there. Because that's the thing, is she is really smart. She is, like, trying to be book smart, but Mm. socially, she's a genius. Oh, very true. Like, socially and emotionally, she is a genius, and they do not let that shine as much. And it's it sucks, because you can tell that Marilyn Monroe knows who this character is supposed to be. Because you can, like, see it in her eyes and in the scenes where Lorelai is supposed to be extra dumb. She is just not into it. <laughs> like, when she's pretending not... When she has to act like she doesn't know what a tiara is, it is such a painful scene to watch. It goes on a little too long because Marilyn Monroe is like, what's it supposed to be? <laughs> and you can tell she's like, this is fucking stupid. Yeah. Can we... Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it, it, it especially hurts because there are a few moments of, like, where I think it really shines through, like, the book version. Mm-hmm. Like, there's two parts in particular. There's a line at the very beginning where Dorothy's like, how are you going to get Esmond to agree to that? And she just, like, looks at, the, looks at Dorothy and is like, sometimes Mr. Esmond finds it very hard to say no to me. Mm-hmm. And it's like, such, like, that's a very book Lorelai thing to say where she's like, just like she's removing her her own agency from it a little bit being like he finds it hard to do this but like 
you can know that she's in control. She has power. And the other one is when, uh, so when they're on the ship, Malone tries to bribe a waiter. So he gets sat at Dorothy and Lorelai's table because he's trying to keep tabs on them. And he finds out that a bunch of other men have done the same thing. And like the the, uh, head waiter is like, it's going to cost you a lot. Like this is a hot table. But then Lorelai shows up and Lorelai really wants Mr. Spofford, who she does not know to be a child, to sit at their table because she thinks he'd be a good match for Dorothy um, just because he's rich. Mm -hmm. She doesn't know anything about him, like the fact that he's eight. Um, But the waiter's like, sorry, I can't get this guy at your table. Like the seating arrangements are locked in at this point. She's like, oh, well, I just want you to know, like some one time I was at this place and this the head waiter took a bunch of bribes so that men could sit at my table. Uh, and I just ended up not going to dinner. I ate by myself every night. And gee, wouldn't it be a shame if I had to eat by myself every night on this cruise? Like, But I might come if Mr. Spofford's there. So maybe just think about that. <laughs> and then yeah. kind of just walks away. And it's like stone cold, like no hesitation. Like she knows what she's doing. It's it's a it's a good scene. It's a, it's a good, good moment. scene, and like that is the book Lorelai. And I I'd even argue that that last scene where she's talking to Esmond's dad plays mm-hmm. into that as well, because you have all of the mm-hmm. iconic lines of "I can be smart sometimes." I just find that men don't like to hear that. You mm-hmm. have her just upfront. Esmond Senior is like she's only marrying you for your money, son, and she goes, "No, I'm marrying him for your money." <laughs> That's a really good line. Um, and when he starts to get offended about that, she cuts him off and goes, like the really iconic line of, a man being rich is like a woman being pretty. You wouldn't just marry a woman because she's pretty, but it certainly helps, doesn't it? <laughs> oh, her delivery is everything in that moment. She could kill like... some- She could. <laughs> she could kill again. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. I, that's one of those moments... I, I feel like I do need to stress, I did actually like the movie a lot more this time watching it than I did my first time. Like, I think there are a lot of really good moments in it. It's a very enjoyable it's, movie. Oh, yeah. It's just, there are, I think once you've read the book and you kind of have the book in your mind, it becomes a lot harder. I feel like you can say that about every adaptation. Maybe that's the theme of the podcast. <laughs> Watch <laughs> the movie the first. That's the question we're trying to answer. Uh, <laughs> uh but yeah, once you see how great book Lorelai is, it becomes a little harder to appreciate all of, as much all of the stuff that movie Lorelai does. Yeah. Which is a shame. Yeah. I guess that does bring me into the questions of this podcast, if, we, if there's nothing else we want to touch on. I mean, I have nothing in mind. This is genuinely a book where I think you could go page by page. You're and really just good. talk about the things that happens in it. I, I genuinely can't recommend it highly enough. Everything happens so much in this book. Everything happens so much. None and of absolutely it matters. Happen. Absolutely nothing happens also. Yeah. yeah. The amount of times they go, and we went to the Ritz, and we went to the Ritz, and we went to the Ritz. <laughs> Which, it, to be fair, is a... kind of one of the points of the book, because she points out when every time Iceman is in town, she does the exact same things every night. Mm-hmm. It's, oh, I feel like I just have to bring this up. This is just, a, this has nothing to do with adaptation. This is just about the book. And I find it so incredible as a storytelling thing. But like the way Lorelai, I think, so when she gets the diary, it's given to her by a guy. And he, I think he says, I want to read it. So even though it is her diary, there's always this sense of like her not telling you everything. Cause she's acutely aware that it might be read by someone else. Mm-hmm. And there are moments where she'll be like, I I told this man something I could never write down. And you're like, but you can, you can tell us Lorelai, but mm-hmm. like she doesn't do it. And so you're never, never that in her head, as in her head as you would think you are. And she's such, she's such an interesting character. Yeah. I think she is I can't sing her praises show. highly She enough. knows she is writing this diary to be read later. She knows she is mm-hmm. interesting and she is making sure she stays interesting yeah. while avoiding scandal, which I think is what mm-hmm. is at the core of Lorelai, is she wants to just get away with everything. She wants to literally get away oh. with murder, which she has. <laughs> um, and she could do again. That's her whole deal, is she wants to do 
this, this, and this, and have all of the fun she wants without repercussions to her in society. And, like, she's good at it. I think the Mm -hmm. worst repercussion society-wise she gets is that we know that before the book even starts, she was supposed to be married to this guy named Willie Gwynn, whose dad literally paid her off to break off the engagement because he hated her so much. And then Willie Quinn lets her host her debutante party like he's the guy who sets it up. He comes back and he has not learned a thing. Oh. Yeah. Such a good book. She's such a fun character. And yeah, yeah. I, I adore it so much. I adore, I adore her. Mm-hmm. So, Cole, on like a scale of one to ten, how faithful would you say this movie is? I mean... I'm going to be generous and say two. Like, two? you'll recognize the names. Maybe a three. I I can't go higher than that. Okay, I'd, argue, I'd say it's probably closer to like a four maybe because there's a lot of specific elements that are kept the same and like line for line things. But I, it, it can't be more than a four because you're missing so much and it's rearranged so much. But I think... A lot of the essence stays the same, at least, and some of the, like, core details. That's fair. I think I'm going to stick with three. That's fair. (laughs) I hear you. I understand you. I respect you. Uh, But I don't know. So much of the movie is, like, whole cloth, completely new. But, like, I have a hard... It's honestly maybe not even an adaptation with it, like... In the strictest sense of the term, because like, what have they adapted? It's kind. Of, it's kind of like someone heard the plot of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, the book, and then made a movie completely independently. <laughs> like, yeah, I, I. Again, I would be really intrigued to be like, all right, what were the three intermediate steps here of the silent film, the stage play, and the stage musical? Especially oh, because yeah. all of them were still by Anita Loose. Hmm. Good for her, getting her checks. Yeah, like, including this one. I, I think both the book and the movie were wildly successful. Oh, yeah. Like, incredibly so, so. So, like, good for her. <laughs> good for her. If there's one thing we've learned here today, it's good for her. Yeah. Um, and was it a good movie? What, what Honestly, yes. Good? I mean, I think, like I said... There are parts of this movie that I really enjoyed this time around. I think I was maybe able to get out of the book headspace and get to a part where I was like, I'm having a good time. I'm laughing at the one-liners. Like, it's a little silly. It's a little cheesy. Like, I don't think it's maybe groundbreaking cinema, but I think I, I think I really enjoyed it. I think probably a 7 out of 10. All right. I think I think that's a fair place to put it. Nice. Yeah, it's a good movie. I, d- I didn't do the 1 to 10 last episode, which means I have to ask Marn what her 1 to 10 is, but I've decided <laughs> that I'm going to keep a graph updated with every episode, with the x-axis okay. being faithful and the y-axis being uh, <laughs> good to figure out if a movie can be good and faithful. Figure out what the, mm. what the line is okay. there. What's the I regression here? <laughs> we, l- we love creating a bit. It's stats time. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I think that's basically all we have to say about Gentlemen Prefer Blondes, unless you want to hear us talk about it for another six hours. (laughs) (laughs) Tune in next week where we keep doing it. (laughs) Yeah, where we bring in Gentlemen Berry Brunettes. Um, Oh, true. I'd already wiped that from my memory. (laughs) Um, but, uh, uh, Cole, do you have anything you want to plug? Social media? Any? Um, great question. I guess... If you really want to, uh, you can find me on Tumblr at a bad case of writer's block. Uh, I am on Twitter at underscore greed mammon underscore. Just check the tweet about this episode. It'll be there. Easier than me spelling it. <laughs> It'll also um, be in the show notes. Oh, see? Perfect. Perfect. Um, Dead Teen House Party listeners, you may recognize Cole's Twitter from being the one that makes the memes and sends them to us. Oh, no. Yeah, maybe that is my project. My project is waiting for uh, season two of Dead Teen House Party and I, I, getting ready to make By the time this it. comes out, I think the next season of Dead Teen House Party 
should be at least available on the Patreon. So go listen to that. Oh, That's what we're plugging. Go, Dead Teen House Party. Go watch that, guys. Don't listen to this. Go watch that. <laughs> They've already listened to I'm this. Kidding. Oh, true. I don't know. <laughs> These next two minutes could be really insightful. <laughs> We've been saving it all up for this. <laughs> um, as always, I am your host emma shannon you can find me on twitter at emma sca you can find the podcast itself at unselect pod uh and you can find us on the moonshot network where there are a bunch of other fun shows that you can check out including as we've mentioned dead teen house party which is a show that i quad co-host uh with marn who was on last week's last month's episode of unnatural selection and two other hosts jacqueline and nessa who i'm sure you will hear on here eventually uh check out moonshot uh oh and as always our theme music was composed by jake loringer check out more of his stuff at amaranthine on bandcamp and a link to that will be in the show notes as well as always let us make your movie (laughs) i forgot about that i know i forgot to ask you what you would have done if you were making an adaptation (laughs) Oh, I can't. Oh. I can't still do that and then just edit it into earlier. I, you laughed at me when I was like, "These last two minutes are going to be really, really I know, good." I'm gonna have to. Re- you laughed. Hold on, we're gonna have to redo those last two minutes so that I can just cut them out. Um, so now that we've okay, rated this okay. one, Nicole, tell me one thing you would do differently if you were making this adaptation. What What would you do? Um, I would. <laughs> I would let Lorelai. Be gay and do crimes. I think she should I think be she, right. I think she and Dorothy should maybe kiss a little, and then steal some stuff. I think it's their right. I I think it's I think it's subtext in both versions. Um, oh yeah. And I I just really think it should be expressed. Um, being gay and doing crimes. Yeah. I like that. I like Thank that. You. You, Thank you. you. I thought twenty twenty three reboot of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. <laughs> You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> oh, we, we talked about this a little, actually. We think uh, Megan Fox and Amanda Seyfried. Is yes. that her name? I've never said it. Seyfried. Perfect. I've never said it out loud Yeah. Before. One of the two. Yeah. Amanda. Sound off in the comments. Um, You're right. We did talk about this. Uh, Amanda Seyfried yeah. and Megan Fox, as we know, have such a good dynamic from Jennifer's body, <laughs> should play Lorelai and Dorothy in the reboot of Gentlemen Prefer Blondes. Make it happen. It would be so good. Let it happen. And as always, let us make your movie. <laughs> let us make your movie. Do we say it in unison? <laughs> no, we just say it. Journey to distant realms, explore the furthest reaches of the universe, survive deadly dangers, experience matters of the heart, and more in a new actual play podcast. Join me, Audrey, that's right, just me, as I play tabletop games designed for one player. From journaling games to tarot games to even games that take me outside, I'm bringing you along for the ride. Join me for every episode of Alone at the Table.